You're listening to the Maple Leaf Hot Stove Podcast with Alec Brownstone, Anthony Petrielli, and Declan Karen. On episode two, we'll be discussing the John Tavera signing, free agency, and much more. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast. This is Alec Brownscombe with, again, Anthony Petrielli and Declan Corinne. Happy Canada Day weekend to you, boys. Uh, how was uh, was a pretty low-key weekend, or what went on? <laughs> Happy John Tavares weekend. <laughs> At Bath yeah. and Beyond. <laughs> Obviously, uh, a pretty whirlwind 24 to 48 hours here for the hockey world, for Leafs Nation, and then obviously for MLHS as well. And on that front, uh, we've got to start with you on this, Anthony. First of all, uh, incredible work breaking that Tavares signing. That took brass balls for sure. I think the the night before, all of us kind of said to each other definitively, we, I think we all thought he was definitely coming, but... Um, you got the confirmation we needed, and then you had the gumption to stick your neck out on it, and then obviously there was that sort of uh, agonizing hour-long wait where it was con- was not yet confirmed by the insiders, and that was it was a pleasure to ride that um, anxiety-ridden wave with you as we kind of got called everything under the sun and then stuffed crow down many, many throats. So, AP, you, we'll start with you. You broke the biggest free agent signing in years, I know, there was another guy out there talking about breaking it that I won't name, but we know for a fact that the report, uh, his report came out before Tavares had actually officially informed teams of their decisions. So that was obviously an educated guess there uh, um, at best. So uh, take us through, Anthony, just obviously not how you heard, but exactly where you were, what you were thinking throughout that morning, and then obviously that hour between your tweet and then the official uh, confirmation. Yeah, so uh, I was at my cottage, and um, well, I was up on the lake, and I was actually, I stayed at a friend's cottage, and got into a few shenanigans that night, and I woke up the next day, and I headed down to the dock after, you know, chit-chatting and whatnot in the morning, and I got a text at about 11.30, uh, right before I was literally about to head on a sea-do back to to my own family cottage, and and it said... (laughs) JT to Toronto. Um, a, a little, a little bit of a, a backstory here on this. A person who's texted me has has helped break news before. Uh, I got to be careful of how much I say about the person. But uh, last year we were the first ones to have the Ron Hainsey and Dominic Moore signings. Um, and really, with him at the the source, it started a few years ago when I was told about the David Clarkson trade. So Alec and Deck, you guys will know about that. I had that trade about an hour before it happened and I we was were sitting on it, yeah. Yeah, and I was sworn to secrecy. So so we literally in the background had articles and whatnot, everything ready to go, but we couldn't actually say anything. Um, and then it came out and it was a huge trade. Like to me like that was like the trade that kicked off the rebuild. Like you got rid of Well, this. not only that, Anthony, but, like, it was so out of the blue. Like, nobody had even the slightest inkling that the guy could be moved or that he would be moved anytime soon, right? That was – it was one of the more blindside trades that, that's happened in, in our time at MLHS. Yeah, and honestly, I, I wasn't 100% – like, I trust the person, but I wasn't 100% sure at the time. So maybe maybe that one happening – I mean – Breaking Ron Hainsey and Dominic Moore, it was nice, but it's not the same as John Tavares or a trade of that magnitude. So that trade kind of, um, that going through kind of like 
prove legitimacy a little bit. And so fast forward to this past weekend, I, I get the text. And again, I'm told, like, you can't say anything. And, like, free agent period hasn't even kicked off yet. Like, we're 30 minutes before that could even happen. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, like, what a bummer. <laughs> again, like, I can't, like, another huge moment and I can't say anything. And I'm like, at this point, I've, like, I've started the sea do And I'm, like, on, like, the middle of the lake driving back to my cottage and I'm just like I'm stewing like I'm just thinking about the Clarkson trade and not saying anything and I'm like this can't like this cannot happen again like I can't like like for years it's been like gr like grinding me so I quite literally stopped to see do in the middle of the lake and I've like taken out the key and I'm just floating there and I pull out my phone and I'm texting back I'm like come on like you have to let me break this so we agree on some language that I can use. I then send out the tweet. Obviously, I turn, turn off notifications my phone. off. <laughs> I just I just completely turned off my phone and I finished my CD ride back to the cottage, which was like another like 10 minutes or so away. So I finally get looking, back. Looking at the replies on the tweet, Anthony, you probably should have thrown your phone in the lake after you did it. <laughs> yeah. So by the time I get back, right, I'm looking at my phone and the thing's already blown up, which I somewhat expected. But now I'm looking at the comments and like it is heated. I'm like. If if this is wrong, like I like delete my Twitter account, delete every social media account, like oh, delete. I was ready to program. delete the website if it if it went wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like the site's folding up shop. Like we're done, we're done. It like there was some, and then it like it gets on like the chat boards and don't even get me started on Facebook. And we're like like the whole thing, and people are like it's a lovely medium. Yeah, yeah, and I love like everyone's like demanding like what are your sources? What is your credibility? Like can't like who are you as a human being and i'm like am i gonna respond to everybody like one by one and like prove my worth I'm like no i'm just gonna like turn my phone off but like the thing is like i had a bunch of friends also like privately texting me that like i didn't even know still follow me on twitter so like my phone starts blowing up with texts from my own friends being like D do you know something i'm like yeah like literally what i said like Tavares is signing in toronto and now are like, you okay <laughs> yeah and like now the tweet's like getting big so i'm like I'm texting the person who told me back, and I'm like, is this thing going to get announced soon? Because he's like, oh, my God, I just looked at, like, your feed. Like, holy cow. And I'm like, you better be right. Like, this better not be a joke. And he responded back and said, uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like okay, well, um, I, I mean, I – Obviously, like I said, the person has told me other signings before in advance. Complete, complete trust. I had enough info provided. I actually, the week, the week of, I think on like Wednesday, I I'd received a message from a friend, uh, a separate, a separate friend, uh, but involved in hockey, who who had said like like Tavares is seriously considering Toronto, which was like kind of weird because obviously he already was. They had he was down to six teams and Toronto was one of them. Like, how could that not be serious? But, but the way that conversation kind of unfolded, that was like the first time where I was like, uh, yeah, I think this might happen. And then I had gone on last week and said, like, if I was Tavares, like Tampa would be my team. And I still kind of stand by that. Like I, I think Tampa would have been just insane if they signed Tavares, at least for a year or two. And, um, but we never really heard like Tampa pick up steam in this recruit. And so, you know, the longer it goes, then um, the worse that is for the Islanders. And Saturday night, 
nothing's happening with the Islanders, and now you're like, well, it's between Toronto and San Jose, and unless this guy really, really doesn't like the market, like, he's coming to Toronto. So um, if the person texted me something right now while we were on this podcast about a move that was going to happen and it was completely out of the blue, I would completely trust them, obviously, but this one, it was a little bit more... um, easy to swallow based on like all of the circumstantial evidence around it and uh yeah, i was about to say that i was i was completely confident that just based on your track record and this this source's track record but there is that bit, bit of doubt that sort of eats at you until you get the official word but you know once the circumstantial evidence like you say starts piling up with the plan b options sort of packing their bags and going elsewhere it eliminated any doubt for me, and I was just I was just sort of waiting at that point to drink in the Mia culpas from like all the doubters <laughs> that were <laughs> destroying you on on social media. But that's yeah. an incredible uh, little story, like Anthony. Like I don't always break the biggest free agent signing in Leafs history, but when I do, <laughs> I'm on a sea do half hungover. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So. Um, We'll stop talking about uh, what was an awesome break for the for the website. Um, and I'll and just say into quickly the actual... before we talk about Tavares, like sure, it's tough yeah. too, right? Because people think that like throwing something up against the wall, like like no, like if that was wrong, it would have been ugly. No, yeah, I agree. That like, was super annoying to see. I, I had I had like you said, just just by virtue of the fact that I had run the article and my name was attached to the article, and I wrote MLHS has learned. Obviously, I had a complete trust in you, but just by virtue of that my name being on it and us spreading it on social media as we should have. Um, I got a bunch of texts and messages on Facebook from friends being like, Alec, like, you know, I think you would not throw away everything if you were just like doing this on a hunch. Yeah. (laughs) But um, are you just reading between the lines here and like trying (laughs) to get out ahead of it? And I was like, are you kidding me? I put 10 years of my life into this website and to go on a hunch on what would be the biggest sort of fail we ever could have conjured up and risk the entire website. Like, we would have had to shut the website down. I don't yeah. see another way around it if we were wrong. It would have been really um, tough. And it started to sink in because, like, how long was it? But, like, what did I put that out? An hour before it was someone about an else hour, confirmed yeah. it? I looked it up uh, just before we went on the air, and it was uh, almost exactly an hour before um bob well sorry it was friedman who actually was like yeah. this is done now seven years Tavares to tour uh sort of similar to the babcock tour tweet he made that was <laughs> that was also pretty legendary but let's get into uh breathless, breathless and lowercase yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's get into uh well where do we even begin with Tavares? it's still pretty hard to believe it happened um i'll start with like the report all along was that there was just going to be this one-year max offer that the Leafs were going to do, kind of followed up by the eight-year extension. And that kind of really persisted these past few weeks, sort of. I guess the framing was that it was the way that the Leafs were going to lure JT away from where he was sort of leaning, which was to stay on the island. But what was most telling to me here about what happened was that JT ended up taking sort of a standard uh, 7 times 11 deal in which he left uh, a little bit of money on the table to come to Toronto. Like, the Leafs didn't have to do anything crazy financially to get him here with the 1-8 with the and eight scheme. They just said, basically, come home and let's win cups. And I think the, the credibility that the team now has as far as the on-ice talent and the off-ice personnel, it pretty much spoke for itself. And that's not to 
to sort of take away from Dubas or Shani's pitch. I mean, clearly Shani at this point is just sort of shitting excellence and is, is on one hell of a bender between the Babs uh, win, the, the Lou hire, the, the perfectly executed tank job, the lottery win, uh, now JT. But ultimately, I think it's players that sell other players on coming. And if it was just about coaching and management, I think Trotz and Lamorella would have had a much better shot of keeping him. But the Leafs are a destination now. And I think the quote from Dubis that I like most out of the day was, this was, it was definitive now. It wasn't speculative. Speculative, Like we were selling what we are and not what we could be, which, which is basically a place for the best players in the world to come chase championships. Like, how does that sound to you guys? You want to start with that? Well, hope, hope isn't a plan. I mean, you're, uh, like you're saying, or like Dubis said as well, is uh, you're looking at, uh, you're looking at a, a, a team with a foundation, it's got players in the right positions that are important. You know, good center. Even without him, Matthews and Kadri are a great one-two punch. Even if they weren't, if they didn't have a, a, a third-line center. But as soon as you bring Tavares into the fold, you can, you know, you can start drawing up lineups that look pretty, pretty imposing. And uh, you know, versus like when they were doing it with with uh, Stamkos, it was, uh, you know, hopes and prayers, and maybe this will happen, and maybe, maybe. Matthews will be this or that, and you know now they can. He's played against them a number of times and realized how potent they were uh, without him. It was really obvious, Adek, in the uh, in the presser, listening to Tavares, how much he had, he'd kind of studied the roster and the team. Like he was given full blown scouting reports on Marner and and Matthews. Um, and like you say, like he total professional the, the way that he prepared apparently was. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was inc- he was he's a really polished guy behind the mic as well. Um, the, the quote that I really liked and I thought was telling from him was he, he said big cup window, which tells you where his mind was at, was that I'm sure he, he respected and understood how good of a team uh, San Jose was and how nice of a market that is to play in. But I think he was kind of along the lines of what we were saying the last time we did one of these podcasts was that the Leafs are where I'm going to go for a seven-year you know, kick at the can every year. Let's go win a cup, two cups, three cups sort of thing. The right? thing is that they've shown that they can develop players and bring them into the NHL that, and they, in I think in a lot of cases, they perform better at the NHL level than they are at even the AHL level. And let's get into a little bit of uh, premature lineup talk, because I think all of our minds went here right away. Um, as far as, you know, where's he going to play? I think Babs will tear through a million napkins up at his lake. I'm sure this summer just sort of jotting down all the possibilities, all the, the possible combinations. He's talked about keeping Matthews and Nylander together and then and then putting Tavares with Marner. I think, Anthony, that was sort of the natural on-paper fit, sort of, right, as a lefty-righty duo. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And um, just to backtrack for two things quickly, one, I forgot to give kudos to the to the person, the individual that told me. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't want to so, do uh, that. Go ahead, yeah. I know, I know you're listening. Um, I look forward to the comments because people like I got to reward this person somehow with something big. So please put that in the comments because I'm open for ideas and business right now. That. <laughs> uh, and then the second thing too is I think we got to give some kudos to uh, to Brendan Shanahan, Kyle Dubas, and Babcock. Like what a recruiting job. Like like Shanahan can sell ice to an Eskimo. Like what what like this guy. <laughs> That was the first thing that Lamarello said in his introductory press conference was if you want to send someone to go get something done, you go send send Yeah, like the, like, like the track record now is just, it's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Like um, Babcock, Lamarello, 
Dubas himself, actually. Patrick Marlowe last year, who by all indications was going to go back to San Jose. And then Marlowe had a really good season this year and then helped bring in Tavares um, just now. And then obviously Tavares, like the ultimate big fish play. So, I mean, like they're doing something right. I think, I do think like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. I think they learned a little bit from that Stamkos attempt. Like I, I yeah, less yeah. is more. And I, I think the Stamkos attempt was uh, was very corporate. Um, you know, like they, they had, like the mayor was involved and uh, I think like the president of Canadian Tire. Uh, and it, it was, it didn't strike the right. Which was sort of bizarre, Anthony, because it's like, I would have, I assume they would have known what Stamkos is like as a person. And I have some people who know him. I don't know him myself. I know people who know him and they even spoke how much about how that's that's sort of the opposite of the way you want to pitch an idea to Stamkos. But the problem, I think, and that's that's the difference between these two pitches, is that they did they were trying to sell something that was as as Dubas put it, speculative. It was a vision that wasn't real. It was based on prospects in the system. It was based on we we just drafted Matthews and everyone was pretty excited about that. But there wasn't. There wasn't a lot of credibility to what they were saying, besides come in and buy on buy in on these hopes and dreams that we're selling you, right? And but you're right, like the the pitch itself, the the tone they took with the pitch, I think was completely out of sync with what Stamkos is all about as a person. Was the weird thing about that? And they probably did learn from it, but probably the biggest thing, and maybe you know what we should also talk about here is that there's probably a good deal of fortuity with this in terms of like Shanahan's talk before about, yeah, you can do all the right things, but at some point you need, you need a bit of luck. Right. And I think there's a bit of luck in the fact that the Leafs just timing wise, they were, they were ready to actually land a big fish like this. And it happened to be Tavares and not Stamkos. Make your own luck. I think, well, I I think that there's like, if Stamkos is available now, I would have been far less convinced on, on handing him the same contract. I just gave uh, Tavares. So you guys on that same, my mine uh, wavelength. Yeah, I'm. I don't think Stamkos is obviously like more explosive and just a better overall goal scorer than Tavares, which is saying something because Tavares is no slouch as a goal scorer either. But Stamkos is in another world. Like, like he's the next guy under Ovi. Maybe Liney's in there too now. So it's those three, then everybody else. Um, but Tavares is the more com- complete player without question. Like. Like, I don't even know if Tampa would necessarily love to have Stamkos at center. Like, he's gotten better the last few years, but there was a while there where they really didn't want to, and then he made the whole story out of it, then he had the contract leverage, and it was like a whole thing. Like, Tavares is a complete center. Like, that's as complete as you get. Like, teams won't have a choice. Like, they'll have to... Like, I'm thinking about Boston and and the Bergeron line, and unless Matthews, like, takes another step up and just goes, like, crazy next year... I. If I'm Boston, I don't know how you don't match Bergeron against Tavares. Like, Tavares will just have anybody else's lunch. I mean, Matthews will too, but Tavares and just with Marner in just a way more dominating way. Well, Matthews Matthews showed he had a little bit of ways to go yeah. in that respect, I think, especially down the stretch. Like, the Selkie talk was so premature, and then down the stretch and in the playoffs, like, Matthews was bad defensively in the playoffs. That's just a fact. He wasn't good. Um, it's still an amazing position, and I think um, Matthews, I think Tavares said this himself, 
that Matthews is further ahead defensively than than he was at at this age. But that's the kind of the glory of this is that Tavares is a a seasoned pro who's an elite elite center in all overall 200 feet. So let's get back to that uh, lineup discussion, Anthony. Uh, do you do you sort of see those as the as the main duos? Obviously, it's it's pretty premature. And the other thing I want to run by you is the something we've talked about a little bit, which is the 11 and 7 idea and how they're going to get Kadri the kind of minutes that he's going to need. Do you have any sort of general thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that was honestly one of the first things that I thought, um, the 11 and 7. Like, it just makes sense. Like, just play Tavares, Matthews, and Kadri a little bit more. The Leafs' defense is a little unsettled anyway, so it's not like you're taking um, off the top, really, because there's... There's very few guys there that I would want to give significant minutes to. Um, in fact, there's some guys I would want to limit their minutes uh, to preserve them throughout the season, like Ron Hainsey. So um, I think it makes sense. I'm not sure if we're going to see it. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how they navigate. Like, there will be some growing pains, like just getting everyone to work together and um, how, like, the lines are going to format. Like, I, what I really hope more than anything is we don't just see – like these lines that are set up and Babcock gave a little preview of what he envisioned right now with uh, Marlowe, Matthews, Nylander, Hyman, Tavares, Marner. Right. I just hope we get to see a bunch of different combinations. He's had a history of blending lines a lot in Detroit and in, in Toronto. He kind of, he, he got away from it a little bit and I was kind of, fig- I was trying to figure out why over the last couple, at least the last couple of seasons, um, why he would do that, and the more you look at it, the amount of rookies that were in the team, the stability. It's it's one hundred percent related to youth. Yeah, it's related to youth. Um, but you could see it at the end of the year when Matthews went down. He started blending the lines a little bit more. You know, Nylander at center, uh, Marlowe at center, different wingers, different winger configurations, and it was. Uh, I mean, yeah. Now you're in a position where you have an elite center creating sort of shelter for another elite center, right? Yeah. And you've got a, a very good. 2C, who frankly would be a respectable 1C, I would say, on some teams, and Nazem Kadri, that's now in behind them as a 3C. And the question that... Um, I, I, I don't really want to get into cap stuff. I don't really want to get into, well, what happens to Kadri. Like, this is, Too many this, is a very posi- <laughs> this is a very positive time of year, and it should be, and I don't want to instantly get into but the sort of whataboutism, but there is the question of like having enough minutes to go around and can they get Kadri the minutes they needs like he needs like they he really has over the years relished sort of those tough matchups and he's a very different player when you get him engaged in a game with some some touches of the puck early and some hits and some jabs and when you give him a task right versus having him down in the lineup but at the same time he could obviously really benefit uh Anthony from having like way easier matchups yeah at the I'm kind of curious right? if uh they put it, they try any of these guys on wing like, I was just well, thinking they've done it. Yeah, Matt, like they a few years not. Zetterberg and Datsuk, he did it with. Uh, he's obviously had to do it with Team Canada because they bring almost player, all centers together. Right, like that was that that was the Datsuk yeah. Zetterberg, like line in the sand there, and then uh, with that coaching staff, McClellan was on it. Then he went to San Jose, and the, well, the first thing that he did, he put Marlowe and and Thornton together. Like these are our two best players; they're going to play together, and. You know, it's no secret if there's something that stands out as a weakness in Tavares' game and he's worked to improve it, it's foot speed. So that's not a bad thing yeah. to throw on the wing once in a while. You're like, you know what, like the the game is 
And and as and as he ages, if you're talking over the duration Absolutely. of the contract, right? Like it's an easy, it's a really easy to move to make. If Tavares's foot speed becomes more of an issue at 32, 33, to tuck him on the wing of a of a Matthews, um, say Nylander's at center at that time. I don't know. That's look really at Claude Giroux. But um, look at Claude right. Giroux this year. They're like, yeah, exactly. We're done. Giroux's done it. Go yeah. play wing and light it up, yeah. and he did. And he's like, perfect. I don't have to be first guy back. I don't have to. Uh... And what a luxury, man! What a huge luxury. Um, to be bringing him in just in general to have to have what they have down the middle right now. And on the power play, speaking of luxuries, what units are you guys thinking of there? I mean, Babs mentioned JT playing JVR's role. Obviously, JT is really effective in tight to the net. He's great at redirects. Uh, if you station him kind of off to the right side of the net as a left-hander sort of facing the puck, he can put his kind of put a stick down as a passing option and has you know, the strength on the puck and the lightning quick sort of hands in tight to bury your setup plays from down there. I'm kind of picturing uh, Mitch Marner up on that right half wall with the ability to sort of slip it down to JT and then dart in and out. And then Kadri, again, good way to keep him engaged and keep his numbers uh, flowing is is to put him in that slot role, sort of ready to bang pucks in and pick up the garbage, which he's really good at. Um, and then you sort of have Matthews ready for the seam and the backdoor passes on the left side of that unit. Is that how you guys see sort of the top unit shaking out? Yeah, it's interesting. Deck, go ahead. Go ahead. Or Anthony. Yeah, that's, it's interesting because I I originally envisioned Tavares in the the middle bumper role, which Naz obviously occupies. But there's two units, so I kind of just figured Tavares might go on the other because that other unit struggled quite often, and I thought Tavares might be able to put it together. I don't think um, I don't think Babcock's wrong though to to put to try him out in front. Like obviously his hands in tight are as good as anybody in the league. Um, You don't get hacked to the same, like your initial thought when you hear someone going to the front of the net to stand there is like, you know, the Thomas Holmstrom, like Keith Kachuk days where, you know, Todd Bertuzzi, whoever, like these guys stand in front and just get destroyed with sticks and cross checks. No, but we we saw with James Van Reeves like that's not the modern era anymore because uh, I don't think he'd be oh, standing in there <laughs> in the yeah. era in that era. <laughs> fronting is yeah. more prevalent. Lead to team to team. Yeah. So I mean, you're not you're not getting a D just leaning on on your back the whole time. So shift. that's why it's not. That's why I like it because you're like you know what? Well, it's not the same wear and tear anymore as it used to be. Like you're basically not allowed to touch the guy almost. And now you're just putting the guy with probably the nicest, softest hands and tight in the league, and you're just like go in front of the net. We're gonna have. Mitch Marner on the half wall. We're going to have Naz, who has back-to-back 30-plus goal seasons in the middle. And we actually don't even care who the guys up top are and who the guy on the far side is. <laughs> like, Tyler Bozak was the best decoy in the league last season. <laughs> yeah, but if, if you had... So you're, you're pretty much along the same lines as I am, right? You put Marner in the right half wall, you put JT down low, uh, you put Naz in that slot position, and then you can have Matthews looking for that. He loves to take that seam pass across his body and rip pucks that way so i think that's an obviously just an an otherworldly power play unit then the other one i mean i guess we could see connor brown take a bit more of a role i like uh, net front wise next next season he's yeah he's willing to battle in there i think he's he's craftier than maybe sometimes he he appears um if you give him the right opportunities um, obviously, I guess Nylander's now running that second unit with Marlowe in the slot. Um, is that how Are you, you see it, Are you convinced that they're going to take Matthews off that unit? Because I'm not. Like, I, c- I could honestly see them just putting whoever oh, on that. Oh, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. So, you yeah, you just put someone who didn't, like, you'd put, I don't know, throw Janssen on the back, yeah. sort of the left side of that could first unit or something. Could yeah, be I could see that. Could be That's whoever. 
the other the wow. other like um just like i'm scared to even throw his name out there because like god forbid he ever gets ice time but i like josh levo in front of the net on the power play i just josh levo sorry who i just yeah I, yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> I, he's wait. He's a part I check of the Cap friendly, and he's there every time. I'm just not sure, but like, whenever they play him and they put him on the power play in front, like he's good. Like he's big. He also has nice hands and tight. But I, I like his puck retrieval. Like part of that job is when pucks get shot and like deflected wide, or there's a rebound. Like you have to box out. Yeah, he's yeah, good. And you have to keep up. possession. Yeah. He does a good job of that. That's why I like Connor Brown. That... He's one of the better. He's one of the better players on the team that are able to fish pucks at a feet, in my yeah. opinion, and play the puck in. Within his skates. Yeah, and that's why you know Tavares will be good too because he's just like, he's just an animal in general, right? Like there's gonna be loose pucks and like it's gonna be it's gonna be comedic watching him go retrieve pucks just to feed it back to Marner and then they'd keep trying until they score. Oh man, you're you're it's too early in the summer. You're gonna be too excited. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, we're talking about Levo a little bit. Uh, let's get into sort of the overall lineup like we're, we've been over what it's probably going to be we're going to probably going to start with the matthews nylander duo tavares marner duo kadri is probably at this point looking at wingers like connor brown and, and andreas jansen um Kapanen. bottom line bottom line Kapanen could be up on that kadri wing as well uh, i'm sure we'll see some experimentation there or we might um babcock keeps saying the name lindholm as if he's uh not not pen, not put in in pen, but certainly penciled into the uh, the fourth line center role. Uh, what that does leave, though, um, is a spot on the left wing. Obviously, the Leafs added uh, Cracknell. He's a right winger depth option who, if there's injuries, could probably come play a shift. Uh, Juris is an option to sort of push Lindholm at camp as a right-handed center. Uh, Berkey was talking on the broadcast about how he was great on draws for Calgary. That's not actually what the numbers say. I think he's pretty weak on the faceoff dot if you look at him over the last three or four years. But um, the left wing of that fourth line looks to be pretty open because as of now, and we'll get into kind of a bit of the rumors and the speculation on this and some, some intel that Anthony might have, but it doesn't look like Matt Martin is probably going to be back uh, in October. So what are you guys seeing for that fourth line winger spot? Would you add potentially in the in the FA pool? Would you leave it open for sort of an internal competition with, you know, there are some some Marlies that are hungry and coming through and looking to push up from, from within the system and, and Carl Gunnarsson, sorry, Carl Grundstrom, uh, maybe a bit early for him. I, I think he could probably use, based on the, I think the playoffs for him was a bit sobering for me as far as like, I think he could still use a half year at least in the AHL. Um, but he's an option, as would be Mason Marchman, and I guess I guess Trevor Moore honestly has earned a little bit of a, a mention at least as coming into camp, battling for a spot. Do you do you guys see uh, Anthony starting with you? Do you see that uh, that left wing spot is something they have to address still in free agency, or do you think there is an option in house that makes sense? Yeah, there? so I've been I've been trying to sniff around to kind of get a sense of of what the what they may or may not do, or what they're thinking, or what the what the overall I guess processes now. Um, it, it doesn't seem like they're trying much at forward. Um, I think they kind of want to see what they have, but they are trying to trade Matt Martin. That's no secret. Um, at, he did come close to getting traded at the deadline, like very, very close. Uh, it didn't go through, um, obviously. Uh, I do think he'll get moved. I'm not sure if they're going to get anything back for him, uh, like a player back, like maybe just a, a draft pick or... Um, not something NHL for the roster. That 
And you'd have to you'd have to think that the Islanders are probably at the top of that list. Yeah, they, they 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 came close at the deadline. Um, so yeah. uh, that the Leafs ultimately didn't like the offer, so that that's why it didn't go through. Um, but you know there seems to be interest. Oh really? They were they were in a, it was it was like a a very negligible draft pick. Yeah, then, I, I don't guess, know what the, the exact offer was, but it, it was uh, I believe it was the Leafs' decision to to not do it. So, oh, that's interesting. Um, there yeah. is some value there. Like Ryan Reeves was heavily coveted. Like I think a few people have reported this, but I also know this. Like he turned down significantly more money than what he ended up going back to Vegas for. So like people already saw the Vegas contract, which was also which was also yeah. a healthy. So uh, people saw that solid. contract and were like, "What?" Yeah. He, I know of two teams for sure that offered more money and more term. Like it was both, not just one. Like it was a higher annual average, and it was for more years. So wow. there, yeah. there seems wow. to be. S- I mean, I was always, I was always of the mind, Anthony, that uh, people were. I remember there was the the big uh, sort of faux controversy when they didn't, uh, when they protected him instead of uh, Brendan Leipzig in the expansion draft, and I was of the mind that they actually, they couldn't have gotten anything for Brendan Leipzig because he was a waiver eligible player. I think there would have been a reasonable chance that Matt Martin would have been taken by Vegas in that draft expansion draft if the Leafs let him left him exposed, and uh, I think that sort of was borne out later because they they picked up they literally gave up a good assets for for Ryan yeah. Reeves right, and I think I think they I think the Leafs like people's perception of how useless Matt Martin is doesn't necessarily line up with the market for him. Like they, they he's an asset they can get something for. Partly that's partly that's uh, to do with how they structured the contract, which is uh, how really helpful now because I think he's I think he's only actually gonna get getting underpaid a million under a million this season, right? In real salary. And it goes up a little bit next year. But I could I could definitely see how they could actually be in a position where they're holding out being like we can get more than, than what we're getting offered right now at the deadline because now in the summer they're in a position where the the signing bonus has been paid out and they can actually maybe uh, up that by you know if, if it is a draft pick by a couple by a round or two right and if it is more than that that's that's great yeah the the tough thing about uh there sorry the thing that needs to get noted is like Martin can play like he's not unplayable like this isn't Fraser McLaren there's worse fourth liners like, yeah as far as fourth liners go like he can yeah. take a shift it wasn't like I held my breath every time he was out there but I want and he was better this year as well than he was in his first year yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, like he can I would say. he can put together some shifts. Like he's physical. Like he he can bring something to the table and not be a complete liability out there. Do I would I feel comfortable if he was on the ice against Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak? Obviously not. But can he take a shift against other lines and be respectable? By all means, he can. So it's not like it's not like they're sitting on a complete nothing. Like he can help a team and he can contribute. On the Leafs, he's just such a weird hit because, like, nobody else believes in hitting on the team. So. <laughs> he doesn't really have any, like, yeah, you're, he was a part of a, a fourth line on the island that was, uh, like, the, the Bash Brothers. It was designed to cycle. It was, it was like, feared as a four-checking line. And he doesn't have anyone to work off of in Toronto. Um, maybe, th- like, when he came here, I think what went a little bit underrated was that he was clearly the worst member of that line <laughs> in, in New York. Um, so, and he didn't have anything, he didn't have anything to work with as far as, like, as, as you say, there's, I don't know if no one hits, but their fourth line isn't full of jam, I wouldn't say. 
So um, let's also talk, guys, about... I think that's enough on Matt Martin for now, but let's talk a little bit about uh, some other FA targets before we get into sort of an ode to the departed Leafs in, in the FA period yesterday. Uh, let's start with Calvin DeHaan. Uh, we talked about him last pod a little bit about uh, potentially being a fit in for the Leafs. Obviously, he's a left-hander. Um, the term there, I think the Leafs have to be careful with if that's what he's looking for. But what are you hearing there, Anthony? I know that you've got a little bit of insight yeah, on that. Yeah, the Leafs um, have definitely been in contact. Um, there's definitely been dialogue there. But at one point, I, I actually did think he was he was coming. Um, or not coming, but I thought I thought it was likely. Would you say that's, would you say that's over, or do you think there's still a possibility? Uh, I, there's still a possibility, but I... There's definitely teams that are ahead of them in the in the running now. the The thing with Dehan is, he can, yeah he can't stay Injuries, healthy yeah. and he wants term because he knows it. So yeah, and the Leafs like the the Islanders you would think as well as other teams. Um, there's a few that'll come to mind. I'm sure you'll talk about the Devils as well, but those are teams that are more equipped to to hand term to a guy like that right now than probably the Leafs and Dehan. I'm sure he'd like to come play with his good buddy in, in John Tavares um, in Toronto. I'm sure he'd like to chase cups in Toronto. But just looking at his career and how he's had two full seasons basically wiped out by shoulder injuries. He's only had one really 80-plus um, game season in, in his NHL career. He's got to be looking out for himself a little bit and thinking, if i I got to take whatever I can, the absolute maximum I can get as far as term, right? That's where his mindset yeah, has to be. Yeah, which is fair. I mean, last season, like the season before, he did have a, an 82-game season, but like you nailed it on the head, like his shoulder, his shoulder history is not great. So I think at the end of the day... He lost an entire, for context, he lost the entire 2012-13 season to a shoulder injury as well. In addition to, I think it was... 55 games last oh, year 33. so it's health is a real concern so he yeah he only year. played yeah sorry oh, man yeah, he yeah. missed 55 and played 33 yeah missed, missed 50 whatever and missed and played 33 but it's a yeah it's i like the fit but i just i don't think the leafs are going to be able to be as aggressive as far as their yeah i like goes. i like the player uh there's definitely been talks but i think ultimately he'll end up going somewhere else which is fine he's a he's a good quality player if if you could feel he could put, he could be healthy, then he would be worth kicking more tires in. But also, he would he would have been signed by now, straight up. Like someone would have signed him. Yeah. But that's yeah. why that's why he's still there. It's July second. He's a good player. Um. So otherwise, I haven't I haven't heard too much about the Leafs being in on on any other defenseman. Um. So, you know, I don't. This is just me, like subjectively. Now, this is not like a hearing anything. Just subjectively, I had said. Last pod, like I could see, I could see the Leafs just kind of going in with their group and seeing how the season goes. And uh, I still kind of think that, like, they, it's a young group. Like, there's some guys on the Marlies that could potentially challenge of varying ages, whether it's a Justin Hole, um, God forbid, everybody's favorite, non-favorite, Martin Marinson, who they seem to like. I could, <laughs> I could see them giving him another honest. He's got a fan yeah. in Dubis, I bet. So, I know he's got a fan um, in Dubis. You know, I. And and uh, Ozaganov from KHL. I don't know if there's much there, but another person yeah, in so camp. Yeah, so like there's least. bodies, like there's guys that can legitimately challenge for a spot. Um, so why even kick tires on a guy like uh, Dehan? Like he's like he's a legit top four if he's healthy. So that's a, it's a different conversation than pretty much any other defenseman that's out on the market, unless you're Boston and you're giving John Moore like a long-term deal. Like pretty like there like no one else. 
<laughs> which was Shocking. a beauty of a deal Shocking. that went under notice. Um, uh, so, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that's in the division. Yeah, and, and then if you look at, and uh, this is subjective, this is not me hearing anything, but if your other teams and, and the Leafs call you and they want a defenseman, like, you're, you want, you know, a guy like Kasperi Kapanen, you want a guy like Connor Brown, you, yeah. you know, like one of these like good young players. And I don't know if the Leafs are, are willing to give up these guys right now. Like, I, I don't think Babcock wants to get away. That's kind of, that's the appeal to me on DeHaan is that while he's left-handed, he is nothing but money right now as far as you don't have to give up those assets. And he is a legitimate, I think, shutdown option. I was looking at his numbers a little bit. Um, me and Dak were, and he's been pretty clearly one of the best defensive defensemen, at least post Hamannick and with Boychuk battling a lot of injuries. Him as well, but like his numbers, I think he was the, had the best shot suppression numbers of any D and on the island. He somehow came out as a plus 26 the last two seasons on a team that, especially under Doug Waite, that was a complete tire fire defensively. Um, I think that's a, an, an intriguing option, but it does create some questions as far as like the lefty righty mix and then again i don't think the leafs especially looking towards a, a jake gardner extension potentially i don't think the leafs it's really a a bidding war that the leafs can actually win in, in reality but also on the note of uh of fas and um going elsewhere uh let's talk a little bit about the the leafs that we've now lost and i think it was easy to to overlook that in in the fervor that was the incredible Tavares news but the leafs let all four of their pending ufas go i don't think it was surprising necessarily i thought there were some fans out there that maybe thought that uh roman polak would would potentially get an offer from the leafs uh pretty unlikely i thought under kyle dubas i don't i doubt he ever did but all four of, of Roman Polak, Tyler Bozak, JVR, and Leo Komarov are now um, a part of new of part of new teams. Um, Deck, as far as those four there, uh, obviously Bozak was the longest tenured Leaf. JVR wasn't far behind. Komarov was the only one there that was actually drafted by the organization. He had a long tenured uh, career as a Leaf as well. Of those four guys, would you have would you have sniffed around on bringing any of them back, or are you kind of thinking that like it was it was time to to move on from all four? I think the only one that would probably have a look at bringing back would have been Bozak, just because I know that uh, Babcock loves centers. He could, if he can stash a center in the wing, he'll do it in every line if he could. So I mean that was that was the one thing I was looking at, sort of saying, you know, I think that's a player they'll have a. Maybe not initially, you know, throw a huge deal at him, but if they obviously they strike out on Taveras and and uh, and have nothing else going on, you know, the the, the center market was pretty terrible this year, so uh, that was one player I could see coming back. But I mean, it's these these players. I think their tenures in Toronto have run their course, and there's a a different uh, different style of hockey being being played now since when they first joined, and you can just see them sort of, you know, they were always the the slowest players on the ice, and you know the the game's gotten extremely fast, and they're you know they're not liabilities, but you could see certainly someone like Komarov that was uh, he was slipping over the course of the year at his game and just wasn't rebounding. I don't know if it was injury related or if it was he's just getting a bit long in the tooth, but you could see pretty quickly that he didn't he didn't belong in a lot of the lines he was playing on. Yeah, I think. And I I think the yeah, second go ahead, that uh, that Bozak contract was announced was like Tavares is coming for sure. Like, yep. Yeah, that was like the, that was a the Leafs cut off talks. Do you think they do you think they would have given him that exact deal, or I, they might have been able to shave a little bit off that to keep him here? I think Bozak's preference was to stay, from what I heard. Yeah, 
I don't have any inside um, info on that, but um, yeah, the five mil was shocking. I, I, I five mil is pretty shocking. I, I wonder if the Leafs could have shaved a little bit off that, but that would have been that would have really been underwhelming to walk away from yesterday with Bozak at five million for three years and and JT a shark or an Islander. <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty glad that happened. But let's. I think we all agree that there was the time had passed for all four of those guys. Uh, let's maybe give a few stories that we liked about each of them. I, I always had a lot of, um, I think Bozak was pretty unfairly maligned. Uh, people thought he'd fall off a, a cliff post Phil Kessel. He didn't. Um, he was a crafty, pretty savvy playmaker. He could get to the, the puck to people in spots that helped make them productive. Uh, you could never trust him as far as you could throw him defensively, but... Um, and Bozak, I mean, he kind of limited Babcock's options in a way because, you know, obviously it won't anymore with, with Tavares, but but Bozak was a good and productive Leaf, and I, I sort of cringe to think about what the center position would have been like over these past, you know, uh, five to seven years if, if Burke had not made that signing um, out of college. And and then there's Leo, who I think we all were big, pretty big fans of. <laughs> Is that fair to say, Anthony? Um, Huge fan. I have it. I have his jersey. I don't regret <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> I I didn't have a ton of options at the time. Uh, it was him or Phil, and honestly, I didn't like Kessel's chances to last long in Toronto. But uh, good good for Leo for getting the long-term security that he got. It just clearly wasn't going to happen in Toronto. I think there comes a time in a grinder's life <laughs> when you have to move on, and this was clearly it. But he was certainly a good Leaf and, and beloved by his teammates, and I think by far the most interesting man on the team off the ice with all sorts of uh, hidden talents and quirks to him. So I think we'll, we'll miss him for sure. Cult hero. One of one of my favorite moments of uh, of like that Phil Kessel era in general was, was probably that Bozak breakaway goal in Game 5 against Boston, sh- shorthanded. Boston, yeah, like man, that. that was great. That was when he was. That yeah, was when he was that was when he had like the the flow. <laughs> flapping in the wind, flapping in the wind. He just buried. Nobody it. talks about it, but he didn't that, play that game seven. How different might things have turned out? He had a, he yeah. had a torn. But bicep. if he if he had played, or if he was good, yeah. like if he was healthy enough to play, like I maybe they don't even have the four one lead in the first place. But we could be looking at very different situation right now. Not that I think anybody's complaining with where we're at, but um, interesting. Like he, you know what, like. He received a lot of heat. Uh, a, a lot of it was was unfair, I felt, and um, good for him for plugging through. Like I'm, I'm still shocked he got five mil. Like he had, I think, eleven goals last year. Um, yep, I just he had eleven <laughs> goals last year and forty three points. Like, yeah, it looks like he's lost. It looked like he's lost a step. He's thirty two. Like, good for him for getting the deal. He's earned it. Technically, he might have, if anything, been on a discount in this contract that got completely lit up when it happened. Um, like he had 49 and 55 point seasons. So, so yeah, at yeah. 4. So under five for that at center, and you know he wasn't much defensively. Like I don't think I've ever seen anyone playing the defensive zone more with their stick across their pants. Other hand, Ben Bozak. Like was anyone <laughs> has anyone in the history of the leagues? He, he was also the king of just, like, uh, leaning oh, forward yeah. on a back check. The fake work pretend. hard. But like, <laughs> the coach thinks I'm back yeah. checking. This is perfect. Just put my head down and take a few strides. And he's, nobody notices. Like, I'm working hard. Okay, man. Like, just setting records on those things. But he was crafty, and he was great in the shootout. Like, I liked it. He was a, he was a good little player in his own way. Uh, Leo, like, 
again, yeah. like the the money Leo. Well, got. wait. Let's do this first. Speaking speaking of like milking it defensively, let's talk about his longtime running oh, partner, JVR. JVR. I mean, I mean, how do you guys think that's going to go in Philly? Um, but also, I think JVR. Um, overall, a, a yeah, really good. Yeah, absolutely. Lead. And he was. We talked about that 2013 series. Like he was fantastic in that series, and. Boston really locked teams down after that. Like, what a pit score against them. I think they scored three goals against them in the Eastern Conference Finals that year before Boston got to the Cup. Like, yeah, yeah. So you think about that. Like, they completely shut down Sid and Malkin. And to me, with the Leafs, like, they, JVR was just unbelievable in front of the net going toe-to-toe with Char. Like, he he was awesome. And then, like, the next year, he took, like, his skating for, like, two seasons was unbelievable. Like, I don't know what happened, but it just, like, it was probably Underhill. But uh, yeah, but he looked brutal oh. this playoff. Uh, he, skating they basically wise, didn't play him at five on five. I don't know, like your power yeah. play specialist. That, yeah, the the first Boston series is much better than the second, but uh, really good leaf and that like the consistency to his production is like nothing to nothing to disrespect. Um, you wanted to talk quickly. Let's Anthony just a quick note on on Leo before we move on to like, yeah, like wrapping this so up. good for him for getting the money that he did. And another one that like. Actually, all of the money that they've, other than Polak, which you're like, okay, one-year deal, whatever, like, good for him. Um, and, hey, like, big deal. Like, he took a pretty big injury against Washington, and he battled back. Um, I know, you know, people were upset with him last year or whatever, like, complained. But um, kudos for him for battling back from that injury. And, you know, I thought I thought he was effective down the stretch last season. And he now he has another NHL contract, like, good for him like he's i when the games when the game started to matter for the leaves polak was good and i will fight anyone and, who disagrees he was he, he legitimately was good and they, they would have been in a real spot if they didn't have polak on the right side i understand like people people maligned the signings they said that that connor carrick and frank carrado were being held back by them but I don't like the Leafs. Legitimately needed Roman Polak down the stretch. I think yeah. both years um, he, that they had him. He was him pretty good on the years. PK, and I, I know, like, I get technically it's secondhand, but like he was very well respected in that in that room. Like they really liked him. Like what, what he brought, and like I know I know it's it's a it's a fan thing now to to kind of take shots at Babcock because he consistently says good pros. Like we need good pros. But like you do, like you need you do need guys that come in every day and set the example and like the work ethic and um, just I guess quickly getting back to Tavares on that like there there's a like he's gonna completely just like set the tone now like he, there's some good stuff from Taylor Hall where he talks about like last summer was his first one working with Tavares and just like watching <laughs> that work ethic up close and how that like. You have no excuse if you if you're a less puts talented you to shame. player. You're like, yeah. this guy's making eleven million dollars a year and yeah. he's outworking everyone on the ice in like, like a Tuesday morning skate, like. That's something the Leafs have sorely <laughs> lacked for a long time is having elite players that are extremely good, uh, hard workers like. Phil... You, you mean Tyler Bozak <laughs> is your best center? Yeah, yeah. not. <laughs> it's probably not Phil, Phil floating around <laughs> in practice, and I did see Phil in practice. Like it was pretty, it was entertaining to say the least. Um, <laughs> Right, so it's like <laughs> Anthony and I were watching uh, practice one time. He was the last one on. Oh yeah, <laughs> joking around with Bozak. They started doing line rushes. He what he went 
10 straight shots. He ripped a bar down on Bernier and then the other way on Reimer and then basically shut it off for the practice. I'm he's like, you guys yeah. suck. He's like, he's <laughs> ripping passes at other guys and nobody could handle them. And he's just kind of shrugging like, all right, well, so like the, but like that whole, there's a, Hockey There's savant. a really good video on YouTube, actually, of uh, Babcock talking at a coaching symposium after the 2014 um, Olympic gold. And he says in it that um, in their first, like, post-exhibition or post-game meeting, I forget if it was exhibition or, like, first game of the tournament, like, the first thing that he did was he ripped on, on Crosby and Taves, like, on video. Like, they took a long shift, and he pulled it up, and... Um, Not stopping on Yeah, box. he was like, like, that's the last last shift of this length like the entire tournament or else we're done here like and he's like he always says like you can't be afraid of your best players which he's right so i i bet he'll probably make some sort of ex behind closed doors not publicly i'm sure he will have that sort of uh rapport with Tavares, which maybe probably irked matthews a little bit um when he was that guy uh, at that age um but now he kind of has Tavares as like the shining example and um, for a few years now, like we've compared the Leafs to uh, not not just we, like everybody has kind of said like this is like the next Chicago, the way like all the talent they have, like this is the equivalent of the host of signing. To me, except yeah, except but like Centerman. Hosa, Hosa but to right. me yeah. is like probably yeah. the best two-way incredible two hundred foot player we've yeah. possibly ever seen yeah. in the league. Yeah, like just unbelievable player in his prime. Um, and Tavares is like that same kind of impact. Like he's that good, um, having everything fit. But you'll you'll hear Babcock, I bet, harp a lot this year. Like the Leafs will win a lot of games on talent. Like they will show up to the rink and win because they're just more talented than other teams. It's going to be really hard. As much as it sounds easy to make up the lines, it's going to be really hard to manage the talent, manage the effort level each night. Yeah. You know, making sure that their their details are always. There's no one always, better that way, though. There's no and, one and, better that they could have. And Deck, you said you said um, in our first pod, uh, you know, like a monkey can make the lines if they get Tavares, which is funny now because they got him. Um, but like Babcock's job is really going to be making sure everybody plays nice in the sandbox. Yep. And the mon the monkey a monkey couldn't manage the egos. I think is the yeah. And we the were point there. And just last uh, point on that, Deck and I were looking at the uh, the Red Wings roster post lockout. They had eight 20-goal scorers on that team. Eight. And then one guy who wasn't a 20-goal scorer on that team was Steve Eisenman because he only played 60 games. So, like, technically their top nine was, like, <laughs> nine 20-goal scorers plus, including in their prime Pavel Datsuk and in their prime Henrik Zetterberg. They had four 80-plus point scorers on that team, including Nick Lindstrom. And they, got, and they got eliminated in the first round to Edmonton that year. So, you know, like, I know everyone's, like, loving the team as we all are, but, like, expectations need to be kept in check. Like, it's hard to win this thing at the end of the day, and, like, it's probably going to be, like, funny, and people are probably going to, like, make jokes about it, but, like, I guarantee you'll hear all year, you'll hear Babs talk about, um, like, you just need to come in and do it right every day. Like, don't take anything for granted. Details. And you know, you we all know there's going to be a few, like, example games where Babcock's literally going to say nothing on the bench, and then he is going to come out and just rip them for for not taking it seriously. Like, he's going to come in and, and say, like, we took it for granted. We didn't work hard enough today to win. Like, it's not it's nothing to do with skill. Like, get ready for those moments. That or, That's already, that already kind of yeah. started last year yeah. when they were ripping, yeah. ripping through hot streaks. Um, on a final couple notes here, guys, we could... AP, you were hearing there was a chance that he could... JT could be given the captaincy pretty soon. Um, in the presser, 
uh, both kind of Dubis and JT shot that down a little bit, but I don't think that's necessarily not true. I think if you look, if you look at the Marley's example, it could be instructive. Like they waited, I think, until mid-season. And they just they kind of wanted to see uh, Dubis did how the mix of personalities was kind of going to go play out before they made a decision. I I think Dubis clearly doesn't like doing that kind of thing, uh, sight unseen sort of thing. Like he's not going to rush into doing it, oh. but I could certainly. You guys can can push back if you disagree, but I could certainly see JT being the captain for the majority of this contract, and then sort of Matthews taking over those reins at 27 or 28 when he's a little bit more ready. Like that, that makes sense to me. The one thing that we mentioned earlier was that JT in that press conference, just how polished he is in front of a microphone, and the fact that he's been a captain, not not in a gigantic market, but in a respectable market, and that's. It's not necessarily something that I, I care about personally as far as like how you deal with the media and whatnot. That's about the furthest thing from my mind, but it's clearly an important thing in this market. Like You just look at the way the media sort of trapped Austin Matthews in the playoffs with the, the shit happens quote, and then it just kind of uh, snowballed with him not making that appearance after game five. Do you, do you guys think that this is they could go like a significant length of time here with no captain at all? Or do you think that this is kind of a let's see how things gel, what the room's like, how this sort of the hierarchy sorts itself out throughout, you know, the first 40, 50 games of the season. Well, going back... Start, Anthony. <laughs> no, um, I was going to say that Babcock's not the sort of person to hand anything out to. He wants everything to be earned, and, and no player is, a, is ahead of the other one um, in terms of, you know, you're, everyone's equal, even first overall picks are the same as fourth-line checkers, and uh, that was that was a passage in Sean, in Sean Avery's book. Uh, he was just saying that he was the only coach that he'd seen that treats everyone equally and I think the same thing can be said for the captaincy where you're not just going to take a brand new player and bring him in and make the captain in the biggest media market and fan market in in the league and uh, and not have uh, at least a, a show of you know yes he's played three quarters of the season or full season and we're going to award the captaincy to him but it, it seems to me like they, they have in the back of their mind a succession plan where you know Tavares will be captain for five years or however long and then he passes the torch on to to Matthews which is yeah I'm still um I still think he'll end up being captain I was not surprised he was not a f- immediately named captain yesterday. I actively. You think early in the season he'll be named I'm captain? I'm not sure when. Um, I'd have to do some digging to find that part out. Uh, I do still believe that it was part of the pitch. I don't think it was a deal breaker for him either way if he was named captain. I could be wrong on that. That's just me. That's just my opinion on it. I don't think, you know, Tavares, this isn't, uh, you know, 12 years old GT- GTHL. Triple A, where you're like, come to the team so you can be captain. Like, I don't think that's the clincher for John Tavares by any means. Um, but I, I, I still think that they they envision him being captain. I still think we'll end up seeing it. Uh, to your, I think Alec made a good point about like the halfway through with the Marlies and whatnot. Like, it just makes sense. Like, he barely even knows these guys. Um, like, he doesn't know the roster through and through. If he's ever spoken to like Nikita Zaitsev before in this world, I would be stunned. Um, as an example, right? So, like, he's got to get in there and meet yeah, the guys yeah. and do all these things, which is fine. But I'm still, yeah, like, it would be, I can't imagine them giving it to Matthews anytime soon over Tavares. I think, if anything, it might have gone to Riley um, o- over anyone else, which was fine. I actually think um, Morgan Riley's a pretty articulate guy. Uh, I, I like hearing his interviews. He's he's uh, he's got a good sense of humor to him too. Um, 
I think it's hard to be a captain in the league as a defenseman. It's really hard to impact the game if you want to take a shift over yeah. or, or try and change the momentum. It's hard to do it from D. Yeah, and Tavares, Tavares has already done it. Um, and so, you know, like he's already he's already knows what that's like. And that obviously this will just be a bigger market and a bigger experience. And I think they'll want to just bring him along and eventually name him captain. Like, honestly, like, I don't really care who's captain. Like, I... Like it's not it's not impacting this team. It just gives the media like the main person to complain about. Like I know everyone's been like, are Matthews and Tavares gonna get along? The happiest guy on the team should have been Austin Matthews, because now he's like, they're not gonna <laughs> complain about me. They're gonna complain about JT. Like it's it's perfect. Yeah, it, the heat's right off. And guys, we're almost at an hour mark here, so let's just wrap up on a couple very quick points on on the cap situation i don't want to get into it too much i honestly i'd rather just sort of enjoy the Tavares signing than than think about the cap situation one year from now because i think i think they're in pretty great shape for the season i think it's sort of all out in front of them as far as managing this correctly i also i also think we'd all agree that 11 is a really nice number for a free agent franchise center who i think pretty easily could have pushed for 13 if he really wanted to um we're I think we're clearly already seeing sort of the effect of players seeing Toronto as a destination and a place to go win. And I wouldn't say that the Leafs can bank by any means on major hometown discounts like going forward. I think the signs are, are pretty good that players are gonna are going to want to keep this train together and keep it rolling. Um, I'll I'll just say that it's not I it's not elite centers like Tavares making 11 million that kills the team's cap. It's overpaying sort of the middling talent and those. It was kind of like um, million there, million here, million there kind of mistakes that seems to... Death by a thousand paper team, cuts. Yeah, the teams kind of make on mid to low end parts of their roster that are usually the undoing. And sort of as the Leafs start to win games, and and I don't want to say it, but start to, to win playoff series, um, potentially cups, being too loyal to sort of the replaceable talent that Brungya is sort of like one of the, the biggest... Uh, downfalls of cup teams so there will have to be some some ruthless efficiency i think throughout this cup window but i think uh the leafs sort of have the right management team in place right now to make those calls would you agree anthony yeah like i think they're they're well situated like moving forward um yeah, like <laughs> i know i know people uh were taking a lot of shots we taught we even took some not direct shots but about the komaroff contract and the Leafs making the right call there. Like, uh, but one thing we haven't talked about, and and this is still a big piece of business to me for this summer, is what's going to happen with Nylander. Uh, he's an RFA. Yeah. Like that contract is going to be very very interesting. Whether it's I, a bridge I, or a, a full commitment. Fairly positive, yeah. it's going to be a bridge. It would be a real feather in Dubis's cap to get him long term on a cap friendly deal. I just I wouldn't do it if I was Nylander. Yeah. You, like I, I yeah. wouldn't like I. He back to back sixty point seasons. Yeah. Like that's not his ceiling as a player. Like break your femur in the second season and you're, you're, see nothing. You're right. You're absolutely right. Like that's the risk any player takes, right? And that's potentially what the Leafs could sell. But um, he could easily have back to back seventy five plus point seasons coming up with the way they're constructed. So. Yeah. If what's he getting after two two seventy five point seasons? Right, and potentially two lengthy playoff runs as well, presumably as a contributor. <laughs> so, 
Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> so if he does those two things, like, yeah. it's, it's a very different story financially. Guys, we're at an hour and five, so <laughs> what are we planning for? 25, 30 minutes? All right. Uh, there's, I think we had plenty of excuses to, to talk a lot this episode. So we'll get back together for an episode if the Leafs do anything further in free agency. And if not, I think we're going to try to stick to basically a every other week sort of schedule with these, um, depending on what our feedback is. And we do welcome sort of any feedback on, from the audience here about what you guys would like to hear more of or less of or um, whether or not we should go longer or shorter. So be sure to toss that into the comments. Um, everybody, Don, John Tavares is a Toronto Maple Leaf. Um, that happened. It's real. And let's enjoy it for a couple of days before we stress too much about Nylander's next contract. So thanks, guys, for, for doing this again. We'll, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. This has been a Maple Leafs Hot Stove production. For Maple Leafs news, opinion, and analysis, make sure to go to MapleLeafsHotStove.com and join the conversation. Thanks for listening.